There it is, a win for the ages. This is All American, a new series from Stitcher. You realize Tiger Woods doesn't know who he is. Best in the history of golf, no question in my mind. And this season, we're asking. What if the story of Tiger Woods that the media has been telling, what if it's been completely wrong? Season one of All American premieres August 20th. Subscribe or favorite now. Hey, Tristan and Biff. Hello. Hi. I'm so excited to hear your voice. It is so good to talk to you again. You're like, you feel like an old friend, even though we've only met a couple times in person. <laughs> this is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank, and I'm so happy to be back hanging out with you for the final season of this show. I started the podcast back in 2010, not long after my baby was born. Over the years, we've laughed together, we've cried together, we've railed against the patriarchy together. I had the pleasure of doing all of those things as a listener while Andrea Salenzi hosted. And now, as we wrap up with our last nine episodes, we're going to keep on feeling all the feelings. We're going to bring you some great new stories, and we'll revisit some old friends. And I've never met Biff, ever. <laughs> one day, one day. I don't, I don't even totally believe that he exists, but... <laughs> I'm a mystical creature. <laughs> Today, we check in with Tristan and Biff, also known as the Accidental Gay Parents, also known as possibly our most popular guests ever. We've loved following their story so much that we've done five episodes with them. This one's our sixth. If you want to catch up on the rest of the series, which I really recommend that you do, you can find it at longestshortesttime.com and click on this episode. That's episode 211. Okay, so just to catch you up, Tristan and Biff initially called themselves accidental gay parents because eight years ago, they became parents overnight when they took in Biff's sister's two children, Haley and Riley, to prevent them from entering foster care. Tristan is trans and has a uterus, so they were able to make baby Leo together. Leo is our, well, he's not a baby anymore. Previously your baby. Crazy. <laughs> so how old is he now? Leo is two years old. He's still a baby. He really is. <laughs> Last time we heard from Tristan and Biff, Leo was an infant, happy and healthy. But things were rough for Tristan. Our episode about his pregnancy had gone viral. It got picked up by news outlets, blogs, tabloids. George Takei even posted about it. Some places treated the story of a pregnant man with respect. Others, not at all. Tristan was being attacked in all corners of the internet, all over the world. We talked about it two years ago in 2017. Here's what he said. And I think that's, that's been the hardest part, is realizing that, like, queer people, trans people, like, people hate us. People hate us. And I don't, I didn't really realize that before. And then it was like, people hate me. It's not even like theoretically out in the world, but like people hate me and wish that I was dead. But Tristan recognized there was also an upside to all that fame. He was normalizing trans pregnancy. And I, I hope that soon I'll get to a place where that, that won't feel less painful to me and more like something I can build power with other people around. 
Tristan did get to that power-building place, and all because a woman from an organization called Family Equality heard him on this show. She recruited him to be the director of family formation, which means he helps LGBTQ folks figure out how to create and sustain families. Since our last episode with Tristan, he's traveled the country telling his story and advocating for LGBTQ families. He is rocking this job. And Biff is still rocking the at-home dad thing. Together, they also have a nonprofit that supports LGBTQ prisoners. These days, their lives don't feel so sensationalized. Leo's not the baby who came from a pregnant man. He's just a baby. Sorry, a a two-year-old. He's fiercely independent, and so I think most parents will relate to this, but he does things like, you know, when we go load up into the car, he cannot get in the car in the door that is next to his car seat. He needs to get into the car in a different door and then climb across the car to get into his seat. It is like a thing. Uh, And it's funny because I was like, no, we're not doing this. And Biff was like, eh, we're just going to let him do this. And I was like, really? Because Biff is usually the one who's like, no, we're not messing around. Everyone's getting in the car the most efficient way possible. So I think it's been cool to watch that sort of evolution, I guess, in in Biff's parenting style. One of the sort of, I don't want to say regrets, but maybe the more sorrowful parts of having been a parent so suddenly and so early in my life and and also in a way that wasn't necessarily always joyous. It just meant that like I felt stressed out and I felt like, you know, I had a life that needed to keep going and it was really hard to like wait for Haley to take, you know, seven minutes to like put shoes on. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the lessons I've definitely learned is that like it's just not worth my energy to like be upset or stressed out about that like it's just totally not worth it of course what that means is one of leo's favorite games is because now we are so much more patient and just like chill than i think we were with the big kids i'll just say okay i need to change your diaper you just tell me when you're ready okay so then he'll like run into the room and he'll say i'm ready And then I'll stand up to go change his diaper. Then he'll run out. That's like his favorite game right now, which is so funny, but also really annoying. Because sometimes you really actually need to change the diaper and just get out of the house. Um, And it's not just like the bathroom thing. You know, Leo is negotiating and pushing us on like every single aspect of his life. But, you know, it's it's in a lot of ways, it's joyous to see that. It just means that he's like feeling supported and loved and You know, he's doing what every healthy kid should be doing at his age. Tristan and Biff have taken to calling Leo's older siblings the big kids. Riley is 11. Haley is 9. Haley likes to pull Leo around in a pink convertible Barbie car. Riley helps Leo climb trees and reads to him before bed. So last time we talked, there was this incident where Haley was talking loudly to strangers about having two daddies and one one of them was having a baby And you had to take her aside and tell her that not everybody in the world was going to be super accepting about her family. How did she take that? And is she still vocal about her family story? She took that really well. But, you know, the truth is is that, like, there just isn't a whole lot of, like, quote-unquote controversial parts of our life presently for her to announce to people. And the vast majority of people do not ask really about Leo. So she doesn't really have a chance to be like, well, my, you know, my dad gave birth to him. Um, I think most people just assume that Leo was adopted 
um, or that we like used a surrogate or something. Mm-hmm. So they're just those opportunities haven't presented itself. But Haley is like, you know, unashamed and really open. Last year, she got together with some friends, and and one of her friends is a non-binary person, and together they advocated for a gender-neutral restroom in their school. And, and she so, was in third grade. Wow. Did they win that? Yes. They put a bathroom on the upstairs that is a gender-neutral bathroom. And Haley didn't even tell us she was doing it. She just came home from school one day, <laughs> yeah. and she's like, I did a presentation in class today. I was like, really? What, that That's awesome. And she's like, yeah, we're trying to get, you know, we're trying to get my friend a gender-neutral bathroom. And I'm like, fool, why wouldn't you tell us? Wow. And by contrast, you had also told me that Riley did not want you guys talking about Tristan, your pregnancy, and asked for the baby to be called his cousin. How has that gone? I would say that it's better. It's definitely in a better place. But I think that's more so because as Riley is getting older, he's getting more independence, which means that we're just around him a little bit less. For example, he feels really excited about walking to school and back. So he'll leave and walk to school, and then I'll drive Haley to school. And so it just means that there's, like, a lot less opportunity, I think, for us to, like, be in, quote-unquote, his life, you know? Mm -hmm. And so just as he's, like, grasped for that independence, I think it's just helped him get the sort of, like, independence from us maybe that he was, like, really wanting for a while. When we come back, Tristan grasps for something he's been wanting for a while, secretly. Don't go away. (laughs) (laughs) We're back with Tristan and Biff. Tristan gave birth to Leo two years ago. And like all people who have grown a baby in their abdomen, Tristan has had to deal with annoying postpartum body changes. My hips have been just, like, permanently wider. Apparently, you know, you can do some kind of, like, crazy corsetry hip-binding thing after, like, postpartum because all the joints are still kind of, like, loose. But I didn't I didn't have time for that. I was—I had a baby, so I was trying to take care of him. So, yeah, my hips are sort of, like, permanently a little bit wider, which is fine. Now I can wear men's pants, so I appreciate that um, size-wise. And then, you know, just, like, more, you know, more a little softer— Everywhere, which I think has been okay. I've been all right with that. Oh, look, God. Listen, my body has had more changes postpartum than Tristan's body has. (laughs) Biff, tell me about your body changes. Because he's talking about wider hips, and he means instead of a 28-inch waist, you know, he has a 30-inch waist. (laughs) Um, So, you know, Tristan started off very slim and lean, that's an probably an understatement. And so, like, where he is now is still, like, really amazing, considering that he's had a baby. Everybody and, is amazing, Biff. And I may have gained 30 pounds since Leo was born. <laughs> That's accurate. But, you know, and the normal postpartum stuff, like, you know, my belly was super poochy for a long time. And that was, you know, it was... It was weird. You know, it's weird to just look at your body and be like, whose body is this? I still do that. <laughs> but I think for them, the biggest thing was, you know, like, just like my chest changed a lot. Even after, like, the milk part went away, like, this sort of everything was stretched out and things were in a different shape than they were before, which I don't know. I had thought I would be okay with, but I 
It sounds really trite, but I watched this TLC video about transgender people who come out late in life. And I I watched these like, you know, 60, 70 year old transgender women like having to come out to their wives and and families having lived as men for all these years. And I was just like, oh, my God, why would you waste that much of your life lying to people and have so many regrets? But I try not to judge other people. I try to take that judgment and then sort of like put it towards myself. What can I learn from this? And so I really started thinking, well, when I'm 60, what will I look back on and wish I'd done earlier? I was like, oh, my God, why don't I have top surgery? And I tried to really think about all the reasons I hadn't done it and didn't want to do it. And it was like... You know, I'll have to pay money out of pocket and I don't want to put that burden on my family and I'll have to take time off work. And, you know, what if everyone at work decides that they'd be better off without me and I lose my job and, you know, everyone will have to take care of me for six weeks afterwards. And then what if Biff decides that's too much work? You know, all of this stuff that was rooted in fear and also rooted in my own, like some part of me that believes that like I'm not a valuable person that people want to take care of and care about, that I'm not worth making this to everyone around me making a small sacrifice so that I can be a little bit happier for the rest of my life. And once I realized that, I was like, that's stupid. And I should find a way to get rid of that. But I was still so I don't know. It was still really, really, really hard for me to actually do it. I want to back up a second because Tristan, you over the years, you've told me that you don't really have body dysmorphia, like you've been pretty accepting of your body. So what changed? Yeah, I mean, my body changed. <laughs> it was, you know, it was to the point where, like, I had to, you know, wear a binder or, like, a super tight sports bra if I wanted to leave the house and not feel so self-conscious about everyone staring at me because my body doesn't look like other men's bodies. Got it. So it was, like, specifically tied to a postpartum yeah, body. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the fact that I didn't have a huge level of discomfort with my body before I now know was really inextricably tied to my physical build. Like I was, I was thin. I was small, and so I think I could hide a lot of the things that you know might have made me more uncomfortable. I guess if my body had been just shaped literally different. Did you wait in part because you knew that one day you might want to have a baby? Nope, not at all. And a lot of people do. When you look at the data, um, a lot of trans gestational parents do postpone top surgery because they want to be able to feed their babies. They want to nurse. They want to lactate that way. But that wasn't a consideration for me at all. So last time we spoke, I asked you this question and you said you weren't comfortable answering it. And it's totally fine if that's still the answer. I just thought I would ask again since we're talking about this topic. Are you comfortable sharing how you fed Leo? Yeah, You know, now that he's two and thriving and everything, I can talk a little bit more about that. So I decided not to use my body to feed Leo for a lot of reasons, actually. Number one, and this may sound silly, but number one, I didn't want to hoard my, like, biological connection to him. I don't know. I felt kind of guilty that I got to have this amazing experience of, like, literally growing him and being physically connected to him in that way. And then when he was born, I'm going to, like, keep doing that. Then, like, what does Biff get to do? I had such a profound experience being pregnant and feeling connected to this little being. I wanted Biff to have that experience as early as possible. So, like, number one, that was really important. Number two, 
I did a lot of research around like what is the benefit of breastfeeding or chest feeding or nursing or lactating. You know, there's no universal word that works for everyone. What are the benefits of that, both nutritionally and then like for the connection? And you know, what I found for the connection is that actually. Neurologically, just doing that skin to skin and having the eye contact—that's the thing that triggers the, the oxytocin, both in the baby and the person feeding him. And so that meant after he was born, like one of the sweetest pictures I have is of Haley doing skin to skin and feeding Leo, like when he's a newborn. Um, and in fact, we've been pressuring people so much to to breastfeed and breastfeed exclusively. And if they don't, they're failing or they're just not trying hard enough. I mean, there's just like so all this weird judgment and shame in that, which I just didn't want to have any part in. Which is why I kept it. To myself that I was using formula and not using my body to feed him because even not telling anyone already, I was getting messages saying like, if you don't breastfeed, your baby will be sickly and you need a wet nurse. And I'm like, a wet nurse? What year is this? And then when it comes to like transgestational parents, because now I'm connected to hundreds, you know, of transgender men and non-binary people who've given birth. Now, unfortunately, what I'm seeing anecdotally is extreme postpartum psychosis in people who can't go back on their hormones and are profoundly uncomfortable, psychologically in distress, breastfeeding their their babies. And it's causing them such distress, but they keep doing it. I'm, I'm so glad that you um, were able to answer this because I thought that that was why you weren't talking about it. I thought that it was too uncomfortable for you to talk about like people imagining you breastfeeding or what that would feel like for you if you were going to be breastfeeding. Yeah, I mean, and when it comes to the way that trans people tell our stories, we have to really be ninjas, like linguistic ninjas, because you can't talk about some things because it literally is like you pull a trap door in people's minds. And if you start talking about trans people's bodies, either genitalia or, you know, their chests or whatever, it's a trap door. And a lot of people then just like fall down this pit of questions about our bodies and our sex lives and intimacy and imagining us naked. And then that sometimes that stirs up things of like actually like being interested in a way that makes them uncomfortable or it makes them uncomfortable in a way that, you know, causes them to disconnect from our stories. And I wish it wasn't that way. I wish I didn't have to be constantly, you know, censoring myself in a way or or trying to tell my story in the way that most people will understand. But I want to do that so that other trans people don't have to, that they can be a little more uncensored, I guess. Okay, back to Tristan and top surgery. Yeah. I actually went and met with a surgeon. I got a referral from my primary care provider. I went, I met with the surgeon, like I did a whole intake before I had even told Biff that I wanted to do it because I was so embarrassed about wanting to do it. It felt so unnecessary and fluffy. It felt like I was asking him like if I could get liposuction or a nose job. Biff, can I get a reaction to this? Yeah, that's it was totally silly to hear that because that's not I was not at all like <laughs> you know, like what? You want to do that? It felt selfish. Full disclosure, I like fully intend to get some cosmetic procedures in the future, so <laughs> well, and that's that's what happened. I mean, it was like literally weeks of me practicing telling him in my head. I like drafted an email to tell him in an email. And I was like, this is so stupid. The email again. You always communicate by email. I know. About important things. I know. I really do. It's easy. It's easy. And so we were just like driving to my sister's wedding. We were in Philly, you know, on a trip. And the kids were with my parents. And we were just driving 
And I was just practicing in my head. And then finally, I just said, I was like, so I'm thinking about maybe possibly in the next five years having top surgery. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. When do you want to do that? And I was like, oh, well, actually, I already met with the surgeon and I was kind of thinking in the next year. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. Like whatever you need to do to feel like happy, like I will support you 100 percent. And I was like, oh, of course, because I married someone lovely. Like, why was I ever doubting that? So it was also, I mean, I married a trans person. And so it's not like I was, you know, thought that would be a wild concept that Tristan might want (laughs) to have some sort of like gender affirming surgeries (laughs) at some point. So it was not like surprising. It was fine. Totally fine. Not as surprising as me saying I wanted to have our baby. That was a lot more surprising. And so I went back to the surgeon and they were like, yeah, you know, whatever, how's February? And I was like, okay. I think it was like a six-month wait list or whatever. I had thought it was going to be more like 18 months. The story in the community had been, you know, you have to get your name in as soon as possible because it's a like a year and a half to two-year wait. So, yeah, it was slowly approaching. And I don't know what I was thinking, Hillary, but like childbirth, I had basically done no research on this process. I literally imagined that Biff would, like, drop me off on the corner at the hospital, and then, like, three hours later, they would, like, wheel me out in a wheelchair, and then he would, like, come meet me on the curb and then, like, take me into the car, and I'd go home and sit in bed for a week and heal. And so my final appointment, the nurse was like, oh, you know, who is going to stay with you overnight in the hospital? And I was like, overnight? I'm— I'm staying overnight. And she's like, uh, yeah, this is inpatient. You'll come in at like 7 a.m. You'll stay all night long, maybe two nights, depending on the healing process. And I was like, oh, no, this this is a little <laughs> bit more in- involved than I thought that it was going to be. Wow. You know, he kept being like, you don't have to stay at the hospital. You know, I'm I just why don't you just go? You, you could go take to go see a movie. And I'm, I kept being like, shut up. Like you're going under the knife. You know, like, I'm going to wait in the waiting room (laughs) while that happens. Yeah. And did you stay overnight? No, I did not stay overnight because Tristan was really lucid and doing really well. Yeah, it was fine. And, you know, and we have three kids, so it was easier for me to to go home. But my sister drove up and stayed with me, and she's been in the hospital a few times for back stuff. And so she was just, like, had all the tips and tricks. She was like, oh, and the kitchen closes, you know, from, like, 10 till 7. So order everything now. You never know when you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and really want, you know, that vegetable saute or whatever. She's like, and get all the desserts because that's usually the only thing that's good at the hospital. What did you eat? I had a really good chocolate cake that was delicious. Um, Yeah, and it was just like much, 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 much more invasive than I thought it was going to be. Like it really is an extreme restructuring of your torso. There's like all kinds of nerves and muscles and glands. There's like all kinds of things there. And I think it was supposed to take three hours, but it ended up taking like four and a half or five. And my surgeon was really incredible and I was like, oh, my God, what time is it? And she's like, yeah, you know, once we were done, I looked at it and it just looked like I'd missed some tissue. So I went back in so I could really get everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so she really went above and beyond, which was great. And Tristan was like out of commission for at least a few days. Like I thought he'd be like up and maybe like reading or watching shows. No. I was sleeping like 20 hours a day. Yeah. I was on not just like pain medication, but muscle relaxers, too. Tristan says, yes, he's had friends who have gone through top surgery, and he knew they'd taken a few weeks off of work, but he didn't really know what those few weeks looked like. 
He doesn't deal well with seeing scars and bruises, so he had never visited anyone who was healing from top surgery. And did you allow Biff to take care of you? I had literally zero choice. Yeah, there was not, (laughs) he couldn't even remember, like I had to wake him up in the middle of the night to take medication. And I didn't realize that that's that's how it was going to be. Yeah, you have to take the pain medication every four hours. And if you don't, you will wake up in excruciating pain because it's not like you just do the surgery and then you're done. They have to leave these drains in. So like they're like these tubes with like holes in them that collect all of the like, I don't know, whatever white white blood cells stuff that (laughs) like your body's creating to heal. And so you have open wounds still on you. And then that stuff gathers in these pouches. and Then you have to switch out the pouches. And I tried to do the pouches myself. And I told the doctor, like, no, I'm going to change my own drains because I don't want Biff to have to deal with that like gross body stuff. And Biff was like, you're an idiot. Yeah, you are. Because he was not capable of doing that. And I don't know. It's so dumb. After nine years of being together, I still feel like if there's a point at which I will be so gross, Biff will, like, not want to be with me anymore. That's what Biff signed up for, though. I mean, no, not really. But but (laughs) (laughs) it is something that I'm happy to do. The truth is, is, you know, nurturing in that kind of way is not one of my strong points in At life. All. You know, I get real annoyed with the kids when they're like sick and they need, you know, <laughs> they need me to like rub their back and get them this and get them that. I'm just not good at that very very much. So it actually was really nice to be able to do that for Tristan because it's not something honestly that I have really ever done for him. You know, maybe, like, when he's sick, I'll make soup or something. But for the most part, I'm like, Begrudgingly. damn it, go to bed and leave us alone. It was nice, even though you hated it? You know, I didn't hate it. That was the nice part, is I felt, you know, I Tristan, uh. like, truly, really did need support. And I, it was nice to be able to show that I am capable of offering that kind of support. And Tristan, are you all healed up now? Yeah. I mean, one of the super weird things is that, like, There's just so many nerves in your chest that you don't even know about. And a lot of those nerves get severed during the surgery. And sometimes they grow back and sometimes they don't. And the growing back process is weird. So, like, there are just, like, weird electrical twinges as the nerves kind of, like, reconnect and stuff. And then there are just, like, whole parts of my chest that I just, like— literally cannot feel even now, which is like, you know, I'm I'm six months out. I'm considered quote unquote healed. But I and I mean there just may be parts of my chest that are just numb forever. So that's just like a trippy, weird sort of body experience, I guess. So nerve stuff aside, do you feel like how you hoped you would feel after having top surgery? I guess I just hoped that I would feel more free. You know, like I'd be able to go swimming with the kids at the community pool and not have to wear a shirt. And when I change in the locker room at the gym, I don't have to, you know, go into a single stall that is stinky just to change my shirt or whatever. Um, And that all of that is true. Like, it's just, you know, I'm able to just walk around the house without a shirt on. And that's great. And just be able to sort of like cuddle the kids and cuddle Biff with no shirt on. Yes. Sometimes he's like out front watering the plants shirtless. And Biff is like, that looks so trashy. You put on your clothes. Well, I'm like, it's like I'm, I'm married to a straight man now. <laughs> but I've never felt the sun on my back before. Yeah. You know, I've never had that experience of, like, the wind on my stomach. Like, it, those, like, sensory things. I, I just never had it before. And so, no, I don't want to be trashy. But, you know, every once in a while, I just kind of like having that experience, I guess. And how did the kids react 
to your top surgery? You know, like kids crawl on you and they're, I don't know, they're just like super awkward and they're like elbowing you in a weird way. So I'd always be like, oh, mm-hmm. God, Haley, that's my boob. And so that was always just like our joke. And now she's like, you can't say that anymore because you don't have boobs anymore, dad. So, you know, things like that. And then Riley was just like 100% nonplussed. Does not care. <laughs> I think he thought it was cool. Like, you know, when I was like, there was like bruises and scars and he thinks that stuff is cool. And so I, I sort of let him <laughs> let him see that stuff. Coming up, Tristan and Biff tell us what else has changed other than Tristan's body after making a baby from scratch. Stay with us. <laughs> We are back with Tristan and Biff. Tristan and Biff, you have both been so open with us over the years, and we've gotten to know not just your story, but your dynamic as a couple. And I want to play you a clip from before you were (laughs) pregnant with Leo. Oh, no. That I think really captures your relationship. You kind of want someone to, like, turn around and start to cry and, like, pick you up and be like, of course, I would love to make a baby with you. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, Tristan has all sorts of fantasies about all sorts of things. (laughs) Tristan's a dreamer, and I'm I'm a realist. So, Biff, what's it been like to have given in to Tristan's dream of having a baby together? You know, Leo is just the light of my life right now. And it has been amazing. But, you know, it's been a long time ago now that I've started to trust Tristan's dreams. You know, I think we went through a period of time in our relationship and our marriage where I think it just took a minute for Tristan to trust that sometimes my realism is not me trying to rain on everybody's parade. It's me, like, caring for and nurturing the people around me. And then it took me a while to also see that Tristan's dreams were not always these just extravagant, ridiculous things, but they were the path to joy and happiness and adventure in my life. Because Lord knows I was not going to pave pave the way for that, I guess. And you have clearly said on this show before having Leo that you didn't believe in bringing new children into the world when so many kids need adopting. How do you feel about that now? I still believe that. I mean, I don't regret the experience. I understand completely why people, you know, want to have this experience. So I don't blame anybody for that. I I get that. At the same time, like, there are a lot of ways in our lives, in this world, where we let emotions or we let the, the quest for an experience get in the way of practical and real solutions to the real struggles that that we are all facing. And one of the struggles in this world is that there are kids everywhere, all over the place, that are not treated well, that do not have families. There are kids that grow up, you know, they become teenagers and then grownups, and they don't, they go into adulthood without having that sense of belonging. And that, to me, you know, having been having at one time in my life been a queer person who felt that I didn't belong is unacceptable. It's something that we should come together and we should solve. And one way that, I, one to me, pretty small 
contribution that most people can make is when you want to be a parent, find a kid that needs a parent and and do that. The first time you became parents to Haley and Riley, it was so sudden and unplanned. And the last time we spoke, you talked about how it was different with Leo, that you were able to plan ahead. You got a crib before he came home. What other differences, if any, have you noticed now starting with a kid from infancy? (laughs) It is totally different. So I can say that off the bat. I'm going to try not to cry when I say this because every time I talk about this, I start to tear up. But sometimes it makes me really upset or makes me feel like a deep sorrow that like I didn't get to, you know, to be there encouraging Riley to take his first steps. And, you know, and I've got to do that for Leo. And so just like knowing the history and having built the connection with Leo from birth, it makes the relationship easier and smoother, you know, for both of us. And it makes me really feel really sad that, like, you know, I wish that... I wish that I could have woken up in the middle of the night and fed Riley and Haley and, you know, and changed their newborn little diapers and and seen and adored them in the hospital. And and so for me the difference is is like in that kind of stuff. And it doesn't change like the depth of my love for them. It just really it just really means that like there wasn't a, a ton of honestly there just wasn't a ton of joy in the beginning. And I wish that there could have been. There's tons of joy now. There's not this like struggle or you know this like hard circumstance surrounding us caring for Leo. And that's wonderful. Every person, every parent should get that experience. What's next for the accidental slash completely on purpose gay parents? <laughs> are there more kids in your future? No. Well, there are no more biological kids in our future. I can say that. And I don't think that there are any kids in our near future. I think we both know three is a lot of work. We need to get them raised and doing well before we take on anything else. So, like, I would love to maybe foster uh, when Leo's a teenager or something like that. But for now, we're being benevolent in other ways. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I really think now what's next is, A, raising our kids. But for me, at least, I envision using our family story to— be a catalyst for larger social change, that we keep telling our story, we keep traveling, we keep working to transform systems, to change hearts and minds, and to make it so that the next accidental or completely on purpose gay parents that come along have a little bit of an easier time doing it. Man, I'm going to miss talking to these guys on the regular, but we're going to keep in touch. And you can too. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook under the handle Biff and I. That's B-I-F-F-A-N-D-I. This episode was produced by me, Hillary Frank, with Elizabeth Nakano and Jackie Sajiko, who is freshly back from maternity leave. Welcome back, Jackie. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Andrea Kristen's daughter. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Antonia Acatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. 
special thanks to Josh Millman. Next week on The Longest Shortest Time. Drowning. Choking. Death. Stupidity. Talking. Sickness. And kidnapping, because that was real big in the 80s. Everybody was talking about kidnapping. (laughs) All the fears that inspired the most popular children's book right now. Graphic novelist Raina Telgemeier will join us. You do not want to miss this episode. Your kids don't want to miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. Stitcher!